All right, we want to uh, greet everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're grateful to everyone that's here today. We thank, we thank God for uh, Brother Hall and Brother Noss coming on this end of Tennessee to share the word with us and to be able to uh, fellowship with us today. We're grateful to the Lord for God giving them safe travel here. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Today we want to talk about a few things, maybe that will help us uh, in our walk with the Lord, that will help us to grow and uh, get closer to God. So uh, the third chapter of the book of Genesis, that is where we see the fall of mankind, and uh, that's where we see um, the consequences for mankind disobeying God. So we're going to, let's start reading at verse 14. It says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall, what? Rule over thee. So we see what, he's, what he has dished out to the woman. What does he say? That he will multiply her sorrow and conception. <laughs> everybody see that? Does everybody see that's two different things there? He's going to multiply her sorrow, number one, and her conception, number two. Everybody see that? In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. So that is the curse of the garden, of, of uh, what happened in the garden, that he would multiply her sorrow. Did everybody see that? Didn't say he was going to add sorrow. Look what it says, that he will greatly multiply her sorrow. Does everybody see that? Now that, that, that's talking about her natural state. It means when the husband's happy, she's gonna be sad about something. That's the reason why a woman is more prone to be depressed than men. Everybody understand? It's, it, that she's gonna overthink things. And she's going to think sad, she's going to be sad. It's almost like she's going to be looking for a reason to be sad. 
That's the reason why women play more into that than men does. Everybody understand? Everybody see that? All right, let's go ahead and keep reading. And thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth what? Children. Everybody see that? That's talking about birth pains, the thing that she goes through to bring forth children. That's not just talking about when she's laying on the table ready to push a baby out and she's going to experience some morning sickness. She ain't going to be happy that the baby's on her bladder. She's not, everybody understand. She's going to be uncomfortable. When she lay down at night, the baby's going to be up, ready to party in her womb. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Sorrow. It ain't like you can spank them or pluck them while they're in the womb, so you just have to deal with it. See? <laughs> Look what he says. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Everybody see that? Now, let me explain what that's saying. Uh, if we go back to the first part of that verse, it says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. That's the woman by herself. Uh, either she's single or she's with a, with a husband. She has a man, uh, but she's not into the man. She's into self. And when a woman get into self like that, then that's when she ex really, really experiences that sorrow. That's the reason why women, it's in them, they have more of a drive to get married. They're thinking about getting married at, when they're teenagers. They're thinking about their wedding and who their husband's going to be and all of that when they're very young. That God wrote that in them to, to help to kind of relax that sorrow. But then what happens when she gets into marriage and, she, and her desire isn't to her husband? She's going to be even more sorry. She's going to have a miserable life. Everybody understand? And while she may be happy that she conceived, she's not going to be happy during the pregnancy because of all the things she's going through. Just think about that. Women, you know, husbands, for the most part, they're just living by faith. We'll have this baby. We'll be able to feed this child the way we're able to feed the other ten. And just give them one more bean, just take one bean from the rest of them, give it to the, to the 11th one. <laughs> Mama ain't thinking that way. Mama's thinking about everything. Mama's thinking about the whole day she's living in, the whole day and age she's living in. Well, do you know, there's so much violence out in the world. Do we want to bring another child into this world like this? Everybody understand that anything. Well, God took care of us, took care of us. Everybody understand. She's going overboard in her thought process, and then she she almost feels sorry for the child before the child get here. And some women they experience once the child get here, they just looking at it, poor thing. Your dad ain't no good. You were not born in the right situation. I'm sorry. And the child just goo 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 goo. Just as happy. The child don't know nothing about being sad. Everybody understand? I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. But if you will let your desire be to your husband and let him rule over you like the Bible says, 
he'll help to level that out. Everybody understand? Yeah, he helps to level that out. All right, so let's go ahead and keep reading. Verse 17, and unto Adam he said, now let's read the last part of verse 16, and he shall do what? Rule over thee. Who said that? Does that sound like we co-partners? <laughs> Does that sound like you got, I got your last name and you got mine? Everybody understand? Now that's God's way. That's God's will. All right, let's go and read verse 17. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto who? The voice of who? Everybody see that? And has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Everybody see? What was the first thing he's getting on Adam about? Hearkening to the voice of his wife. Loving his wife more than he loves God. Everybody see that? That's the first thing. Because you hearkened. Because you obeyed her, in other words. All right, look at what he says. Thou shalt not eat of it. Uh, cursed is the ground for who? Thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of what? Thy life. Everybody understand what they're saying there? Before this came about, there were no desert places. You just drop something, a seed in the ground, it would just sprout up. You didn't have to get, you know, sulfur and phosphate and all of those little chemicals and mix it in and blend it in water to pour into the ground to try to help it to bring forth. Everybody understand? You didn't have to worry about weed be gone and all of that other stuff. It was just doing what it was supposed to do. Everybody understand that? Didn't have to worry about thorns and thistles. Didn't have to worry about any of that. The ground was just going to produce the way it was supposed to. And so not just the ground, look what it says. Uh, verse 18, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to who? Thee. Everybody see that? So everybody understand what they're saying there? There was no such thing as thorns and thistles before then. But he's saying, I'm going to plant some for you. Now, let me explain what this means to us, for those of us who think we've bypassed this. We're not farmers today. I sit in our office. He's saying, your, your, your job in your office is going to be tougher than what it was supposed to be. You're going to deal with some people that's not saved. They don't care about your walk with the Lord. Don't want to hear about your God. Don't care about your testimony. You just need to do this turnover for me. You're going to work for some people that's not fair. You're going to work for some people that will pay you pennies if they could get away with it. Your job is not going to be easy at all. And he says in sorrow, you're going to, you're going to, and you're going to have a job in sorrow. It's not just going to be natural to you to want to go up, to, to get up in the morning and want to go and go work for somebody else. 
You're going to think about how you're making somebody else rich. You're going to think about how much more you should get paid working for the company, but what can you do? Because everybody in cahoots and everybody in your field, they have got together and decided don't pay these employees more than this so that they won't quit here and go over there to work. You may, you may be, in God's eyes, worth more than what you're getting paid, but that's part of the curse. Basically what he's saying is life after we fell in the garden, life was not going to be fair. Everybody understand? All, all fairness went out the door. There are going to be times you get messed over on your job. You're going to be passed up over for a promotion. There are going to be times when you think you've worked really, really well, but in your evaluation, they're going to let you know, no, nah, you're not as good as what you think you are. They're going to always keep their foot on your neck to make you think you ought to just be happy to have a job. And if you quit, so what? We'll just hire somebody else. That's the way it goes. Everybody see? So these are the pressures of jobs. They're going to give you barely enough what they call the cost of living. It's not going to be, you know what? We're going to give you a $5 raise just because you're worth it. It's going to be, we'll give you a 30 cent raise because the cost of living has went up. We see the gas going up, so I guess we, and, you know, gas prices and rent prices and stuff like that. So I guess we have to, you know, give you 20 more cents an hour. We really don't want to, but I guess we'll help you not get kicked out of your house today. Isn't that what it boiled down to? <laughs> I'm not saying this for you to get, all to get depressed and be thinking. <laughs> My pastor said I deserve more. <laughs> I'm just trying, to, just trying to compile all of this together so you see how it affects us today, how what happened in the garden affects us today. It, it affects us today. So when the husband's at work, you know, not happy really about the situation, thinking, you know what, I could get paid more. And then you could think, well, you know, California, you know, they, they get paid a whole lot more. My friend in California, they get paid a whole lot more. Yeah, and their rent is $3,000 a month. So no matter where you go on the earth, it's going to all balance out. Everybody understand? Don't, don't think about those places like that. They're paying 4 and $5 a gallon for gas. Yeah, so everybody understand? So no matter where you go, it's all a big conspiracy. But you know what it really is, is God's conspiracy. We can really, we conspired against him when we disobeyed and we set these things in motion. So the husband's at work frustrated because he knows he's worth more than what he's getting paid. The wife is at home frustrated <laughs> because she don't feel like she's getting anything out of the deal. She don't see what her husband is going through at work and the husband don't see what she's going through at home. He just think these children just take care of themselves. And when he come home, he's thinking, well, she think these, these lights are on by themselves. I'm the one paying the bills. So there you see that collision. Everybody understand? <laughs> Verse 19, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread 
till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust what? Now to us, we were born knowing at some point that we would leave this earth. We were born knowing from the dust we came, and that's where we're going to return. Now, could you imagine the first time this was ever brought up in all eternity, in all of life? This was Adam and Eve's first time hearing this. They weren't born to die. God didn't, didn't create them to die. So this was something big. See, to us, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we're born, we live maybe 60, 70 years, praise the Lord, and you know, at some point in there, we give our lives to God, and we, if we're and we're blessed, we, we're spending eternity with Him. That's our hope. And when we first hear the gospel, that's what we that's what we cling to. But this was not the case for Adam and Eve. They knew that they had come from the dust of the ground, but they had no intentions of going back there because they weren't born to go back to the dust. Everybody understand? So, it doesn't sound like we got a really good deal out of this, did it? does it? This just sounds like, well, what's the use of me living? You know, now they got lawsuits in courts now where children are suing their parents for giving birth to them. How many of you know that? It's lawsuits in court now. Uh, children just ungrateful. I'm just, why you just didn't, why you had me? And that's the way we could be, you know. Let's go beyond that. There are people that are mad at God because they don't have a good life. For whatever reason. Maybe born in certain situations. Maybe didn't have the most loving parents, whatever the case was. They're mad. The parents got divorced. Whatever the case is, they're, they're in, inwardly mad at God because in their minds, I could have been born in a better situation or could just not, could have been born at all. But all the things that we read here, that's what we see going on in the world today. And it's not God's fault. It's the fallen state of mankind. Everybody understand? So let's not get mad at God for something that our foreparents brought on us. So we wanted to lay this out for you and make it as flat as we could. And we were hoping that it would get your minds thinking about what's been said so far. That what we just read, it just seemed hopeless. It, something that should be the most joyous occasion of a family, uh, the birth of a child. Uh, the mother's not really, really happy about it. She may be happy that another life is going to be brought into this world, but she's not happy about the process. The man having joy about being able to provide for his family. But when he's getting up going to work in the morning, it's not natural to him to just want to go and spend 8 and 10 and 12 hours away from his family working for people that could care less about him. The only thing that even makes it uh, remotely worth it is the paycheck. And even that is sometimes questionable. <laughs> Everybody understand? How many of you ever got a paycheck, you know, your check stub, and you look at them, okay, yeah, wait a minute, I worked 41 hours, I didn't work 40, I worked 40, 
How many of you check your page, make sure that you're not getting to see that's the curse? Everybody understand? That's, that's part of the curse. I'm going to work for some folks I really don't trust. I trust me. That's part of the curse. Now let's go to the 10th chapter of the book of John. the 10th chapter of the book of John. We're going to start reading at verse 7. It says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Everybody see that? That's the second time saying that. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find what? Pasture. Everybody see that? Now, we, 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 we want to look at this in the context of what he's talking about Really, what he's talking about is the Garden of Eden. What happened to what happened to Eve and Adam after they fell? Did they get to remain in the garden? No, they were put out. And God was so determined to keep them out, He put cherubim, a cherubim, in that garden with a sword at the doorway of it to swing it back and forth to keep in to keep them from going in and their, and their uh, children and grandchildren, all their offspring. He was determined not to let them back in. Does everybody understand? But look in verse 9, he says, I am the door. Now he's not talking about to the natural garden of Eden as much as he's talking about the spiritual place where you get over the curses of this earth. The thing that takes the sting away from it. Everybody understand? Look what he says. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be what? Saved and shall go in and out and find what? Pasture. Does everybody understand what he's saying? He's talking about the different levels. He meant what he said about thorns and thistles. He meant what he said by the sweat of your brow. You will bring forth fruit. And you will work by the sweat of your brow. In other words, it's going to take some effort. He said what he's saying is I'm not going to take away the curse because that's set in stone. But he's, he's telling us as believers, I'm the door to this spiritual Eden that you're looking for. Don't be mad because of the curse. Just come through this door. And I'll take the sting away. Everybody understand? 
He said, you'll go in and out and find pasture. I bless you above. Now, everybody that's not saved, they're going to feel the sting of every bit of that curse. They're going to feel the sting of it. But if you come to me, he said, I'll take the sting away. You'll still have to work by the sweat of your brow. But I give you a, such a joy and so, so much peace. You're, you're, everybody understand? How many of you have heard of these workplace shootings? I, I've worked in places when they, if they fired you or let you go, they escorted you out of there. They, you, couldn't, you couldn't stay there. They didn't want you pouring salt in their coffee. Everybody understand? They didn't want you sabotaging anything. So when you got released, whether it was on good terms or bad terms, they walked you out the door and made sure you got in your car and drove off the premises. They do that because of these workplace shootings. I think we had one last year. Somebody got fired at Walmart and, and went and shot up the place. That's, that's people. Those are people that feel the sting. Everybody understand? I want you to think about something. How many of you before you gave your life to the Lord, you had to purposely not think about stuff. Like, let me purposely not think about the injustices I'm experiencing on the job, folks looking over me. I'm driving an hour to get there. Ain't nobody offering me gas money. And then you got, you know, we're not going to even get, get into paying $30 a month to park. Is that what it was at Vanderbilt? Somewhere around there? It was more than that? What was it, like 50? It was like, yeah, 50, over $50 there a month to park. That's how much they think about you. We're going to pay you pennies, and then we're going we're gonna to charge you to park in our parking lot. Now, if you sit and you think about all of that, are you going to go to work happy? And you just think over your life, all the injustices you've experienced, all the things you've gone through, all of the unfairness. If you think about those things, are, are you, are, can you just naturally be a happy person? No. But you know what happened for us, for our sake? Jesus Christ came and he went through more than, if you put all the people in this earth together, and put all the stuff they've been through together. He went through, if you put it all together, it still will not equal up to what he went through when he was in this earth. And so he came and he went through everything he went through us just to turn around and, and tell us, you see, be of good cheer. For I, I've overcome the world. And if you're in me, you can overcome it as well. Everybody understand? This world, I'm, what am I saying? This world, if you think about it, it is designed to make you bitter. Everybody understand? It is designed, hold your spot there in the 10th chapter of the book of John. Let's go to, um, let's go to the uh, 7th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes.
the seventh chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start reading at verse 13. Now, I want to show you the purpose of this, the curse, and then Jesus Christ being the door. The seventh chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to start reading at verse 13. It says, consider, consider the work of God. Everybody see that? For who can make that straight which he had made crooked? Everybody understand that? Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, what? Consider. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, what? Think. Think. He's telling you, I want you to ponder when you have adversity. And then he tells us why. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. You understand what that's saying? In the beginning, mankind fell, and God brought about all these curses. So in other words, you're going to have good days and bad days. And he's saying, on your bad days, think about this. The idea, what's the purpose of those bad days? To chase you to God and to keep you there. You know why? You know what happens? In people's joyous times, in the day of prosperity, they get to dancing. They hanging on to God's hand, they dancing, they shouting. And they dance their hand right out of God's hand. It's easy to forget God in the day of prosperity. But he's saying that now, in the day of your tumult, in other words, in the day of adversity, I want you to ponder this. The idea is, in the day of your adversity, look at, let's look at that. Let's read it how it says that. But in the day of adversity, consider, God also has set the one over against what? The other. In other words, he's the one that gave you those prosperity days. And then he's the one that gives you adversity. And he says, I play those together against one another. Let me tell you how he does it. If you were happy all the days of your life, if you were prosperous all the days of your life, you wouldn't know anything about coming to God. So he says, I purposely, I purposely, give you temporary joy before you come to me. It's going to be some things that happen in your life that you're going to be happy about. And then there are going to be some things in your life that you're sad about. But naturally so, you're not going to want to have those days of adversity. He's saying, so I play those, both of those things in your life. Now keep in mind, he doesn't take those things away. But what he want to do is he want to move you from your up and down, adversity to prosperity, adversity to prosperity. He want to move you away from that to eternal 
prosperity. Lay not up for yourselves treasures in this earth. Everybody understand? Everybody understand now how you play one against the other. The idea is for you to move to him, come through him, which is the doorway, and experience spiritual prosperity. Experience that spiritual joy that even in the day of adversity, it does not take away that joy that he gives you. Everybody understand? So that, everybody understand how he does that now. In the beginning, before you living for him, you up and down, up and down, depending on your situation. And he was, he's saying, I, I let you experience hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. It's to make you wonder. It's to get you to thinking, why can't I just always be happy? And then he says, I am the, I am the door to that. If you come to me, you experience green pastures all the time. He's not saying that nothing won't ever go wrong in your life, that there won't ever be adversity. If anything, that adversity will be turned up. But he's saying that it won't move you. You will always be joyful, even in the day of adversity. Everybody understand? Let's prove it to you. In, in, in Jesus' day, when they had took him to crucify him, and they were about to take him from judgment hall to judgment hall, Peter pulled out a sword to defend him. How dare you lay hands on my master? But then when Peter got the Holy Ghost, and then they took Peter to whip him, he rejoiced. Thank you for laying hands on me. Everybody understand? So before then, it was up and down, up and down, up and down. The Lord happy, I'm happy. The Lord sad, why are you sad? Then after he came to the Lord for real and received the Holy Spirit, then he had the joy of the Lord. So when people get saved, I'm rejoicing. That's a day of, 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 of prosperity. And then when I get whipped, I'm still rejoicing. That's still a day, everybody understand. Even though it's adversity, I'm just happy to be counted worthy. Everybody understand? So does everybody understand? Basically what we're saying is Jesus Christ takes the sting out of the curse. Everybody understand? All right, so now let's go back to the 10th chapter of the book of John. The 10th chapter of the book of John, we're going to start, we're going to read at verse 9 again. It says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, that's, this is what a scripture most of us are familiar with. The thief cometh not, but for what? To steal and to kill and to what? Destroy. Everybody see that? I am come that they might have, everybody see that? That they might. Everybody see that? That they might 
have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now he says might because he can't he won't fight against people's wills. If you give your life to the Lord, you're going to have life and you're going to have it more abundantly. That's that's a guarantee. Everybody understand? But look at what he says in the first part of the verse, the thief cometh not. In, in other words, why does he rephrase it that way? He says there are only three reasons why the devil comes. There are only three. Steal, kill, and destroy. So in the Garden of Eden, when he came to Eve, it, well, he didn't come there because he thought she was hungry. And, and here's some more food for you to try. I'm really coming to steal something from you that rightfully belonged to you. What was it? The Garden of Eden. I'm coming to steal the joy that you're supposed to have when you give birth. I'm coming to make you sweat when you work. I'm coming, I'm coming to cause friction between you and your wife. Everybody understand? She's a grown woman. It's not going, she's not going to think about submitting to you when y'all get married. She ain't, ain't going to be on her mind for her desire to be to you. So I'm coming to wreck this whole thing. I'm coming to tear it up. I'm coming to kill it. I'm coming to steal it. And I'm coming to destroy. Everybody understand? And you see the three phases there. Steal, kill, and destroy. So you got the first phase, couple get married, they experience a bunch of problems, he still enjoy from, the, from that couple. They get divorced because of the lack of joy, they, they're not happy anymore together, so they get divorced. Now he has killed the marriage. So what is the destroy? Now you have no more confidence in love like you had before. I've killed that. I've destroyed it. There are people walking around today who have no desire to get married. And, and some of them, is not because they've ever been married before, they've just seen what their parents have gone through. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he turns around and he says, but you know what, I've come to undo that. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Everybody see that? Now, this is something. Now, this is the, the, the crux of our message here. How many of us in our hearts can say, Lord, I have that life. I have right now, I have that abundant life that you want me to have. I have that abundant life. No doubt about it, I have it. And if you don't believe you have that abundant life and we'll make it more clear as we go on, then we're going to um, share with you why people don't have that abundant life. There are people that's really, really living for God but may not be experiencing that abundant life. 
And really, it's a ploy of the devil. Let me explain why. Let's think about this. If your life looked like it looked before you got saved, where circumstances haven't changed, things haven't changed, it's still the same stuff, but now you're just holding on to God's peace and trying to just hold on to everything in life. God is saying you still haven't experienced that abundant life. Everybody understand? Situations still look the same. Ain't, ain't nothing changed. You just holding on to God's unchanging hand and just, Lord, just take me out of here whenever you will. It don't matter to me one way or the other. You, you still haven't experienced that abundant life. And you know what? It's the devil. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the devil wanna, want, don't want there to be any difference in your mind between before you got saved and afterwards. He want to make it look exactly the same. You still get sad. Is this the abundant life the Lord was talking about? You still going through the same stuff. It's his job. It's the devil's job to make it look like ain't nothing changed. It is the devil's job to make it really even look like you had it better when you were out in the world. That's his job. The devil is slick, very slick at what he does. Let's read. Let's, if you have your Bibles, let's go now real quick to the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Now, who wrote this book? Paul. Who gave it to Paul? The Lord. Isn't that right? It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Can we all agree on that? All right. Can we all agree on that? Now, we're laying down some groundwork. So we can all agree that what we're going to read in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, that was all inspired by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? All right. So let's read now. Verse 28. Fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, we're going to read verse 28. It says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Verse 29, I pay close attention to that. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Does everybody see that? Can we all, everybody see that? For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Everybody see that? You know what that's saying? The same way the Lord loves the church, that's the way, you, and you don't have to be saved, in other words, to love your flesh. You nourish it and you cherish it. Now this isn't talking about Loving in a bad way. Loving your flesh in a bad way. This is saying that it is impossible for a man to hate his own flesh. Can we all agree to that? That that's what that says? We can all see that very clearly? That the Lord is saying that. 
that it is impossible for man to hate his own flesh. It's, it is impossible. In the Bible, in 2 Kings, people were eating bird doo-doo. Well, not just eating it, finding it somewhere on the street. They were paying for it. You know why? Because they love, they love their life. They love their flesh. They wanted flesh to continue to live. Everybody understand? Of course, you know the other story. Men, they were even eating their own children. In the days of famine. You know why? Because they love their own flesh. Our son Joshua was telling us, and some of you may have heard, you know, when you buy uh, mouse traps and they get stuck on that trap, you, you know, or they get caught in a trap, you know what they'll do? They'll eat their own arm off if, if the arm is what's caught there. How many of you knew that? Yes, they will. Yeah, they'll eat that whatever part is trapped on that, they'll eat that off. They'll gnaw, they'll gnaw that. You know why? Because <laughs> it's better to enter into the kingdom with one arm. <laughs> then to get flushed down the toilet somewhere, whatever <laughs> these people's plans are for me. <laughs> Once God has given something life, people will do whatever it takes to sustain that life. That's what we're talking about. No man ever yet hated their own flesh. Isn't that right? Now we have to drive that home. All right, so now that it's home, let's go to the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. Everybody following us so far? Now, hold on to everything that we've talked about because it all goes together. Everybody see? It all goes together. Everybody at the fifth chapter of the book of Mark? Let's start reading at verse 1. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Everybody see that? Who had his dwelling among what? The tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. That word fetters, that's talking about shackles. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man do what? Tame him. Verse 5, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and doing what? Cutting himself with stones. Verse 6, But... When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. 
I'm going to stop right there, right there for a second. We're going to back up for a little bit. There was a sting of curve, the curse in the Garden of Eden in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. God had set curses out there because of our disobedience. The, the idea of the curse was to drive you to the blessings. So Jesus comes in the 10th chapter of the book of John and says, I am the door to your green pastures. The thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you may have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Then in the 5th chapter of Ephesians, the Lord lets us know nobody, nobody hates their own flesh. Nobody. But then you got this man here in the 5th chapter of the book of Mark cutting his flesh. Now, to us, just naturally so, that's usually when we read this story, that's what we leave it at. Well, you know, yeah, he, of course he's demon-possessive. He cut himself. But let's move beyond that. Let's move to what the Lord is really talking about for us today. And of course, there's people that do the same things to still cut themselves, uh, what they call self-harm. But that's what we want to talk about is harm people harming themselves. And we're not just talking about cutting their flesh. Today we're talking about one thing, a satanic sabotage. My wife and I, before we got married, we were talking on the phone one day. She was sitting out in the parking lot of her job there at LSU and she started crying. And I asked her, you know, we weren't arguing or nothing. What, you, what are you crying about? And her words to me were this, I don't want to mess this up. People oftentimes when they hear about what my wife and I, we went through when we first got married, well, you know, with all of the contention and the marital issues that we had, in our marriage, people oftentimes ask me, how did you deal with it? It goes back to that statement she made that day. Here's a woman crying. I don't want to mess this up. When she said that, my mind shifted to this. Naturally so, this woman loved me. She don't want to mess up our marriage. But she's aware that there's something inside of her that has been programmed to cut herself. Everybody understand? To harm what she holds dear. And you know, there are some people, they're so afraid because they sabotage so much, they're afraid to take chances. Even in love, uh, somebody come up to them wanting to show them love, really wanting to express love, and they'll, they'll run them away. Now, on the surface, it appears like she's stuck up. She's just hard to deal with. But deep down on the inside, she's hurt. Because I've messed some stuff up in the past. And every night I'm in that tomb, I'm in somebody's graveyard cutting myself. 
I don't want to be this way. Everybody understand? It was God's will for us to get married one time. It was God's will when we got married the first time for that marriage to work out. Everybody understand? That was God's will. But something happens. It, was, it wasn't God's will for you to date this one, that one, this one, that one, this one, that one. It was God's will for you to just court one person and that be it. That's who you marry. That's who you have all your children with. And then you, you die together. That was God's will. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everybody understand? He comes to sabotage and get you so used to this sabotage the way you don't even recognize it anymore. It's just a part of life. You're living in the tombs, cutting yourself, and you're wondering why nobody else is there. Y'all crazy, not me. People today, today so hurt, they're even scared to have children. I get married, but I don't want children. I only want two. Y'all crazy for having five and six. Everybody understand? I'm telling you, it's a satanic sabotage where people have gotten so used to dysfunction to where they don't even know the devil's at play anymore. So is it a wonder why people don't have joy serving God? They serving God, but they're not experiencing that abundant life because in their mind, well, I guess this is my lot. I guess this is all that God has for me. And they don't know it's the devil that have come to steal, kill, and destroy. If you have a marital problems, it's the devil. If you're sketchy about even getting into a relationship, it's the devil. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Isn't it something? The greatest thing in this world that we can experience is the love of God, even when it's coming through people. But isn't it something when we see that love, people today are scared of it. Just get away from me. I'm going to sabotage this relationship. I don't even know how to be friends with people anymore. People can't even get close to you without you running them away because in your mind, what, what do you want? Everybody is suspect. You have an individual want to love you with their whole heart, just want to be friends with you. I, I've seen that in women just all throughout my life. When I was in the Navy, I was going from one part of the base to the other, going inside of this one building, and I opened the door for a lady, and, and she snapped at me. Lady, I don't, I don't want to sleep with you. I'm just, you carrying something, I'm just opening the door for you. That, that, but that was, that's hurt, and that's, that's the way it looks. That's what makes people think, you know, you can't even buy somebody something. Just, you know, they, you know when you give somebody something, they say, why are, you, why are you doing this? Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for blessing me with that. And then that whole night, they thinking about, well, you know what, there's, there's something up to this, so let me go out to the store and buy them something. So I don't, because I don't want to owe anybody nothing. I'm going to set what you bought for me over in the corner somewhere. 
I'm going to see if it's going to manifest. Everybody understand? Everybody is just suspect. So is it a wonder when we lose that trust because the devil has stolen it? When we lose that trust, is it a wonder why you're not happy? Is it a wonder why everybody has an agenda in your mind? Everybody understand? Is it a wonder why you've been through so many unsuccessful relationships? It's a satanic sabotage. Everybody understand that? So let's go back over these scriptures here. Verse 3 uh, verse 2, it says, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with what? Chains. Everybody see that? Now, that is the spirit of a, of a person that, that's, that's a free spirit. Does everybody understand? Ain't nobody going to tie me down. I'm not going to be anybody's fool. I'm, I'm showing you what that looked like spiritually. So, yeah, I played the f fool a few times, but I know better now. <coughs> Does everybody see that? It's that individual that would rather be single than even try in a relationship. I'm not giving my heart to nobody, because the last time I did that, look what happened. So who wins then? The devil. It says, no man could bind him. No, not with chains. Because that he, that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man do what? Tame him. They so self-sabotaging that they think it's wrong to even take advice. They're going to find their own way. Everybody see that? You know why that is? Why people, are, why that's in their nature? I'm going to find out myself. I'm going to find out for myself. I'm going to find out my own way because they don't trust people. It ain't just stubbornness. It's just, it's, I, don't, I don't trust you. I don't trust people. Because people in bad, people in general are just bad people. But that's not God's word. Everybody understand? We're talking about how people self-harm. How, how all it takes is for somebody to get hurt one or two times. They get burned one or two times and they write off all of humanity. But they don't know is the devil got them in this will where they're in this cycle. They just really what it is, they keep reliving the hurt without being being face to face with it. They just experiencing the fruit of the hurt. They might be years and years away from it. In their mind, they're over it. But if the devil still got you on that wheel, doing the same thing you were doing right after the hurt, then you still hurt. That's the reason why Jesus said what he said. I come that you might have life. Not just have life, but have it more abundantly.
God don't want you walking around cursed. He don't want you self-sabotaging. One of the things I set out to do when my wife and I first got married, when she, especially after she made that statement, I don't want uh, to mess this up. The, when she said that, my mindset was, it must have been some other relationships that she could see that she had messed up. And so then I, I, I purposed in my mind, I'm going to let her know that I'm here for the long run. I'm here forever until the Lord take me off this earth. Some of you sitting right here today, especially some of you sisters, you've had a, may have had a bad day with somebody that you were dating or that you were married to, and you may have said these words, go ahead and go. But you know deep in your heart you didn't want to. But it's something on the inside of you that is just, you've just been, you've been programmed to sabotage. You really don't want them to go. But you've already accepted defeat. That this ain't going to end well. Because I'm messed up. If you read in the, in the eighth chapter of the book of Luke, the same story, this says that this man was driven to the wilderness by Satan. That's where those tombs were. He was just out there by himself. That word wilderness, it talks about a barren place, an unfruitful place. Think about what happens when you're in a relationship and you've had a bad argument and you have, self, have, have sabotaged it some kind of way. What, what do you think when you have an argument, especially some of you sisters, you have an argument, what's the first thing on your mind? I want to be off to myself. What is it? The devil driving you in the wilderness. Why? So you can fast and pray and the Lord can deal with you? No, so he can talk to you so that you can keep sabotaging. How many of you have ever been the cause of an argument? And you knew in the middle of that argument, I'm the reason for this mess. But pride won't let you shut up. You just got to keep going. And before the argument is even over good, and you, I mean, I, I'm not just talking about a disagreement. I'm talking about stuff flying, folks cursing, all, it, it, just anything. It's all, I'm just going to have to repent. But right now, And immediately afterwards, now you still mad, you still fuming, but you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Lord, I sure hope you tear down all this pride so I can say that with my mouth to him or her. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. What was I thinking? I, I done fell for it again. How many of you ever experienced that? You see the satanic sabotage? You know it's satanic if, if you can't go a minute afterwards knowing and repenting in your heart, I, I, I messed up. You're not going on for days thinking it was the other person. 
You know immediately after it was me. And then, but you, you but the, the problem is you can't fathom in your mind how does this keep happening? How do I keep sabotaging stuff? I can't even have best friends. And the best friends I do have, they live a million miles away from me. So are they really friends? But in your mind, I'm, I'm still a free spirit. I got my own thoughts. I got my own processes. No man is going to tame me. Every time somebody come along and try to bind me with love, I'm going to break those chains. I'm going to run you away from me. I'm going to sabotage this relationship so bad that when I get you to turn on me, some kind of way I'm going to flip it like, see there? That's the reason why I don't let people get close to me. <laughs> Isn't that something? Is that God's will? But you're a Christian. I mean, you, you really believe God. You really are sold out to him. But here's the problem. You hurt. You sabotaged and don't know it. You just think that it's just the people that you run into. That's the reason why people that have several bad relationships, they run into the same person. Is it really the same person or are they the same person? Everybody understand? Is one common denominator in all the bad relationships you had? <laughs> it's a self-sabotage. Don't this Bible say no man ever yet hated his flesh? In other words, you're not crazy in your brain. You're not going into a relationship or going into situations purposely trying to mess it up. You love yourself. There's nothing wrong with loving yourself. Everybody understand. It, there's nothing wrong with wanting something to work out. But I'm telling you, if you go into it with a defeated mindset, then the devil's already done his job. If you go, everybody understand that. You can't go into a marriage signing prenuptial agreements thinking it's going to last forever. There's no way in the world you think your marriage is going to last if you sign on a prenup. That's the same as we're going to get married, but I'm going to keep my other girlfriend that I had before you just in case we don't work out. How many of you are going to go for that? So why is it that we accept the defeat of the devil? Why is it that we accept that sabotage when the Lord says, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly? I, I'm telling you this. I wouldn't live for the Lord if, if he couldn't make good on that promise of abundant life. Now, God is not a liar. But what I'm telling you is we ourselves have to recognize what's the norm and what's not. This man had been bound for ages. To him, it was normal to sit out in them tombs and cut himself. And there are people that have been bound for ages. It's normal to have a relationship and it not go well. 
It's normal to barely make it financially. Everybody understand? It's normal to not just, just have nobody like you, but that's just them. Or could it be that if the Bible says that no man yet ever hated his flesh, that there is a spirit there that's causing this sabotage? Just like this man, I'm going to cut myself. I'm going to harm myself. In other words, I'm going to sabotage every area of my life, my work, my, my relationships, my marriage, my relationship with my children. I'm going to sabotage every area of my life or allow the devil to sabotage it. But you know what? When I see the Lord, I'm going to worship him. In other words, I'm going to have that relationship with God and I'm going to accept my life that lacks the abundance that he promised. So when people say in their minds, what, what, like what this man says, no man is going to bind me. You know what they're saying? I'm not going to allow anybody to help me. I want you to think about it. If you know that you're experiencing that, that sabotage, that, that, and we call it the satanic sabotage. You'll be the very ones that people have offered you advice over the years. Hey, don't do that. But you won't accept it. Because ain't nobody going to bind me. Nobody's going to tame me. Everybody understand how when there's a satanic sabotage, people can offer you all the godly advice to help you out of your situation, to help you overcome, to help you experience that abundant life, but you will not accept it. it that's how you know it's satanic. Why? Because the Bible says no man ever hated himself. You can know in your heart this advice is good, godly, sound advice, but I'm going to reject it. Why? Because I, I'm yielding to this spirit that want to keep me in this place. I'm going to tell you this. The Lord loved us so much, he didn't just promise us heaven. He didn't just come and die for us to go to heaven, even though that would be enough to rejoice about. He says, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He was talking about in this earth, in this earth. He wants you to have abundant life here. That's something he wants you to experience. But the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to sabotage it. The idea is, as long as I'm sabotaging your so-called Christian walk with God, you won't have any joy in it. All you'll be looking forward to is death and hopefully heaven afterwards. But is that God's will? How could God take a man that was defending him with a sword and convert that man to where he rejoiced after being whipped? That was the abundant life. 
the Bible tells us that when people talk about you and they say all manner of evil things against you, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Everybody understand? Everybody understand? So it's not that the Lord comes and whispers in everybody's ear for you, hey, make way for them. Here they come. Don't say anything bad about them. Don't ever cross them. If you want to keep them happy, just do what I'm telling you to do. No, he don't change everybody for you. He changes your outlook on everybody. He changes it the way you view it. Everybody understand? That's the abundant life, a renewed mind. Everybody understand? Not telling everybody, look, if you want me to be happy, don't, don't, don't frown around me. Don't look at me a certain way because I saw that look before and I know exactly what it means. Everybody understand? He's telling you, I want to change you. I want to remove the spirit that's been sabotaging your life all these years. I have an abundant life for you. Everybody understand? I want you to be happy serving me. And not because of the circumstances in which you serve me, but just the fact that you have this connection with me. I'll take the sting away. You won't be self-harming anymore. Everybody understand? Not just naturally cutting yourself, but you won't be harming your situations. You won't be destroying relationships. I've seen people's lives over the years, how they're never settled. Never settled. They go from one relationship to the other, one job to another. They live in a city for so long and then they think, well, you know what? It was this city's fault, so I'm gonna move, I'm gonna get a brand new start. And then they go to that new city, a new state, a new country, and it's the same junk all over again. They think it's the location, they think it's the job, they think it's the people, and they never stop to think, no, you know, maybe it's the devil, because the devil is the same everywhere. Maybe it's the fact that I've just accepted his sabotage as my new norm. And maybe it's the fact that when people try to come and coach me out of this sabotage, I reject it because nobody's going to tame me. Don't be the Christian that accepts that sabotage. If I know what God, that God have told me that he come that I might have life and have it more abundantly, that's what I expect from him. And if I'm not getting that, then I know that there's a demonic presence there that I need to get, pay attention to and have removed away from me. Don't go one more day allowing the devil to sabotage you, to steal your joy, to steal your peace, to steal your hope, to kill your dreams, 
and ultimately destroy your relationship with God because you assume that that's what you have experienced is all that God has to offer. I've lived in all of those things. Come to the Lord, nothing changing, nothing changing. It wasn't until I accepted, you know what? It's something off here. I don't hate myself. I don't go into relationships or go into certain situations expecting it to just go down. I, you know, I want it to go down. So what is it? It's got to be the tormentor. Everybody understand? Think of it this way. The world without Satan is a world of joy for even the unsaved. If the Lord removed the devil out of the way altogether, there would be no such thing as hurt. There would be no such thing as pain. Everybody understand? He's the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you can look over your life and see him, how he stole things from you, relationship that you really put your all into, jobs, friendships, in any area you can think of, if you could see, look over your life and see that those things, that they, some of them had just been wiped out completely, that you've really messed some stuff up, then you have to know that the devil's at work there if it's still going on. And the question you have to ask yourself is, what am I going to do about it? The first thing is believing that God has more for you, that he, he has an abundant life for you, that's the first thing. You believe that, and then you can go from there. Everybody understand? Once you believe that, then the law will start showing you the patterns of these sabotages. You won't be falling for the same thing over and over again. Once you believe, everybody understand? Especially in relationships. Let's think about that. How many of you have ever experienced, after you've had so many relationships with your spouse or somebody that you were with, how many of you have ever experienced just avoiding certain conversations? Because it's going to go downhill. That's just by guarantee. So I'm trying to show you how easy it is to ad adapt and adjust to the dysfunction. Where it's something that really needs to be talked about. But I'm so afraid to talk about it. You know, why we, you know why we go to that point? Because we don't like the aftermath. We don't like, everybody understand what I mean when I say the aftermath? How many of you know after this argument, after this disagreement, there's, you could feel like there's something between you and your spouse? Is it this imaginary little Play-Doh that's there? Is it the little toy that your child was playing with? Is it the spoon that's sitting between y'all? No, it's the spirit that's there that have caused it to begin with. That's what's between you. And you, and really what it is, you don't like the feeling of it, so you avoid the conversation like the conversation is the spirit. No, avoid the spirit. Everybody understand? Before you have the conversation, pray.
the answer ain't avoiding the conversation because the devil is going to be something. You might get along without ever having to talk about that again, but something is going to come up and it's going to be the same thing. And before you know it, you're going to be the old couple. Y'all just, y'all only talk when you got company around. Because everything else is an argument. <laughs> Everybody understand? How many of you seen old people like that? They, they real hospi hospitable when you, when they be glad to have company. Thank God, because I, I thought I was going to never get to talk again. <laughs> They asking you, how long are you going to stay? A week, that's all? Be glad to have you over. They're the couple, they walk you out and wave and sad and depressed when you leaving. Why? Because it's right back in, mama's sitting at the table, and papa's in his little man cave, waiting on company to come again. You know why? Because they've lived a life of practicing avoiding conversations. And the Lord is telling us, don't get to that point. You're supposed to be living an abundant life. Above that, yes, we're going to talk about it and we're going to get rid of this devil today. We're going to talk about this so we never have to discuss this ever again. And we're not going to be scared. We're not going to be cringing. You know why? Because you follow what you believe. If you believe that's going to be an argument when you talk about it, it's going to be. You think about it. When you start talking about it, if you're not, you feel something rising up on the inside of you. Right? What is it? It's that spirit of sabotage. And so what happens after the fact? What do you do? I'm going to go off to myself. I just want to be alone. If you're not careful, you'll get used to living days and days with that something being in between you. And then what's the question you're going to ask? Are you okay? Did I do something? I'm telling you, you have to put the blame where it goes. You have to see the devil for what he's doing. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It ain't you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everybody understand? But the Lord have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So let's, let's, let's look forward to that abundant life. Let's stop giving the devil room in our lives. Everybody understand? I think we need to make up our mind and tell the devil, devil, you don't have room here anymore. You, you, you can't be in my marriage. You can't be on my job. You can't be in my relationships. And I'm not talking about you controlling what other people do. I'm talking about your response. Everybody understand? That's God's will. Anything outside of that is sabotage. It's satanic. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for opening our eyes and our understanding to what your word says. And God, we pray that from this day forward, Lord, that you will help us to experience the abundant life that you talk about. Help us, Lord, to know where the dysfunction is in our lives. Help us to know the areas, Lord, where we have self-harmed. 
Help us to know the areas, Lord, where we have caused division and distractions and different things that have gone on, Lord, that's not of your will. Help us, Lord, to be watchful and to be mindful. Not to accept that being the norm in those areas. Help us, Lord, to walk in victory and to accept those victories by faith, Lord. Help us to be of good, of good cheer, Lord, knowing that you have already overcome the world. And you have laid out in your word, Lord, how we can overcome it as well. Help us, Lord, to get over these defeated mindsets that the devil have introduced to us. Thank you, Lord, for providing our victories for us. But help us, Lord, to accept those victories by faith. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will remove fear from every individual in this room, and that's under the sound of my voice, the fear of relationships, the fear of love, the fear of correction. Remove all the fears that the enemy have introduced to us and help us, Lord, to accept the persons of people. Help us, Lord, to accept correction and accept it, Lord, from the angle it comes from, Lord. Help us not to see correction as an attack, but help us to see it as love and concern. Help us, Lord, not to be skeptical of everybody. Help us to do what your word says, Lord. Be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Help us, Lord, to get out of this thing of trying to control our environment and trying to control who we are around, Lord, when, when their personality don't match up with ours. But help us, Lord, to be who you've called us to be, regardless of whatever situation and circumstance we may find ourselves in. Help us to accept, Lord, what you've called us to be and reject what we were and the pattern we set when we were out in the world. Give us spiritual eyes, Lord, so we can see the devil when he comes so that we can overcome him when we recognize him. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, um, if that's all now, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll be dismissed to meet up a little later for um, discussing this message. So if that's all, we're going to be dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.